If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 78 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this Sunday, December 27th, 2020. Let's get started by, as always, giving our shoutouts to Grunt Talks MLB, Reckless Airwaves Radio, and Ball 9. Ball 9 brings you some of the best baseball content out there. Baseball stories old and new, articles, roundtable discussions, suggested baseball podcasts like Yapping Yankees, and more. Visit Ball 9's website, ball9.com, and follow them on all social medias at Ball 9, and know what you don't know. Next, we have Reckless Airwaves Radio. Get your latest uncensored, unlimited dish on everything sports. Interviews, featured podcasts, including Yapping Yankees, and much, much more. Anything goes on Reckless Airwaves Radio. Give them a follow across all social medias at Reckless Airwave, and check out their website, RecklessAirwaves.com. And our final shout-out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also, follow the mastermind behind the website. His name is Darren, and you can find him on Twitter, at YankeeReport28. And be sure to follow Grunt Talks MLB across all social medias, at GruntTalksMLB. Special thanks to all of our friends at Grunt Talks MLB, Reckless Airwaves, and Ball 9 for helping to spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. I love all yous. But also don't forget, guys, that you can help spread the word about Yapping Yankees every week and stay updated on everything with both me and the Yankees by following me on all social medias. Follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram at Mike Scuds 97. And also, please be sure to subscribe and listen to Yapping Yankees on all four platforms it's available on. First and foremost, YouTube, but also still very, very important on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Episode 78, the final show of 2020 with New Year's just around the corner. The end of 2020 is upon us. Thank God. I do hope that each and every one of you had a safe and Merry Christmas. I'm glad to be able to say that I did. And I am especially glad to say that both because Christmas is my favorite holiday and I was able to safely see a few loved ones, obviously including my immediate family who I live with. And I'm really happy I was able to have a good day despite, of course, how different it felt this year. It was a fun time, and I cannot believe the final show of 2020 is here today. But before we get into the show today, though, it's time to discuss the announcement I teased you about at the end of last week's episode regarding Yapping Yankees in the month of January, and I'll be sure to obviously remind you of this next week, too. But in January, I will be taking two weeks off. January 10th and January 17th, and I'll return with a new episode, episode 80, on January 24th. Ah, yeah, there he goes. Uh, Vader, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I know, I know, guys, but hey, I gotta say this, in defense of myself a little bit, 
I've barely taken any Sundays off for Yapping Yankees ever, and I've been doing this show for two years come May. Maybe took off for three Sundays in all of that time. Maybe. Last time I took a Sunday off was the first or second day of August, so approaching five months ago come January, and I had plans of taking a weekend or two off come the offseason, especially one as slow as this one's been, and that's what I'll be doing. The last year or so, I've taken a week off every six months to a year or something. As I said, hardly ever. And I got a busy life, guys. You know that. So, again, I'm taking the 10th and the 17th off. There will be no new episodes of Yapping Yankees for those Sundays. Just taking a load off for a couple of weekends in my busy life. Am I allowed to do that? (laughs) But... Just hang on a second, because there actually is a good side to this. And the good side to it is that I also won't be leaving you with no content at all necessarily, so I guess you can consider this sort of a second announcement, or announcement 1A if you will. And this announcement is, to ensure that you guys won't be left with no content at all, to make up for the two weekends I'm taking off for Yapping Yankees, I'll be going live on Twitter and Instagram, like I used to a while back, on the Fridays of the weeks I won't be doing shows. I haven't done lives on social media as of late, but for these two weeks that I'll be taking off, I'll do it again, and I'll go live for about an hour, give or take, for each time, on both Twitter and Instagram. So again, be sure to follow me on Twitter if you haven't already, at Mike Scudero, and on Instagram at MikeScuds97, and I'll be going live like I used to on the Fridays of the weeks I'm taking off for Yapping Yankees. So those Fridays will be Friday, January 8th, and Friday, January 15th going live on Twitter and Instagram. Q&A, anything goes sort of theme, like the social media lives I used to do. Just anything goes, Q&A, whatever you want to talk about. Not limited to any subject necessarily. We just have a good time and hang out and chat. So that's the good news, the good part of the announcement, that you'll still be seeing me and hearing from me, although I'm taking the two weekends off from Yapping Yankees. So if DJ's to sign during that time, for instance, don't worry. Even though I won't be able to react very soon to it during those two weekends off, you'll see my reaction to it on the lives. And then, of course, when I do come back with Yapping Yankees on the 24th with episode 80, obviously I will talk about it. Just using the DJ instance as an example, because of course I know that's primarily what's on everybody's minds. So you need not worry. Even though I'm taking those two weekends off, again, you'll be hearing from me on these lives on those Fridays of the weekends that I'm taking off. So be sure to tune into those lives. So again, because it is important to repeat announcements like this over and over, I am taking January's 10th and 17th off from doing Yapping Yankees, those two Sundays. But also, that coincides with this other announcement. To ensure that you guys aren't left with no content at all, I'll be doing two lives, one on each of the Fridays for the weekends I'm not doing Yapping Yankees. That's Friday, January 8th, that'll be the first live, and Friday, January 15th, that'll be the other live. Twitter, and Instagram. My Twitter is at Mike Scudero. Instagram is MikeScuds97. And also follow me on both of those if you haven't already, of course. We'll do a Q&A and just have a fun chat as I've done on lives in the past. And if you miss the lives, don't worry. They'll be archived on my Twitter and Instagram and you can watch them afterwards. They're a blast to do. Just like this podcast is a blast to do, of course. But obviously, doing social media lives are very different in the sense that there's no planning that really goes into it. That's for one thing. 
particularly if it's going to be a very laid-back, fun sort of thing, just having a fun discussion. There's really no planning that goes into that. I just sit back and have a good time. It's just an open and free discussion about not just the Yankees, but that and anything else you guys want to talk about. And also, there's no editing after the fact, and so on and so forth. You get it. Hopefully. So tune into those guys, it's gonna be a fun time, but that is the announcement. The two weeks off, and what I'll be doing to keep in touch with all of you throughout. And I'm really looking forward to it. Lives are really a lot of fun. And oh, before I forget, I really almost forgot about this. But next week, there will be a show, don't worry. <laughs> but next week, January 3rd, is actually my birthday. My birthday is landing on a Sunday, Yapping Yankees Day. So it'll be a birthday edition on my 24th birthday next Sunday. And honestly, there's a good chance I'm going to make that episode a bit shorter so I can, you know, spend time with my loved ones for a lot of the day, as I'm sure they'll want me to do. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens when next week comes around. But there will be an episode next week, and it will be out next Sunday as per usual on my 24th birthday. So that will be cool, obviously. And again, as far as the length of the episode, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see what happens when we get to next week. But it could be just a little shorter than usual. As far as today, though, finally on to today. <laughs> Again, what do you know? Basically, nothing happened. But as I do every week, I don't even know why I say this anymore, but I've got a good episode ahead for you. Starting with something in the social media segment that has gained popularity of late whenever I've done it. Many have told me they like when I do it. So considering that, because fan feedback means a ton to me, and the fact that, again, not much at all happened this past week, I figured, why not? And this something that I speak of is a social media Q&A. So we'll be doing that again in just a few moments. A nice social media question and answer. And in news today, later on, just got a couple of quick things. The Yankees made some more donations this past week to help out the community, but who they helped and how much they gave, I'll tell you later on in news. And we'll also be talking about a big Yankee bullpen arm that has now signed elsewhere. Stay tuned for that as well. And... C.C. Sabathia's HBO documentary, you may have heard about it. It's called Under the Grapefruit Tree, and it came out this past Tuesday, the 22nd. I watched it, I cried, and I'll be giving you a bit of a rundown on what happened in it, and give you some quick thoughts of mine on the documentary in Yankees News, too. I am looking forward to talking about that later. But for now, let's go right into the Q&A. Question and answer, you ask, I answer. Let's see what questions you guys had for me yesterday for this week's episode. I'll get to as many of you as I can. As we always do, we'll start on Twitter and then head over to Instagram. Our first question comes from my good friend Tina at MountainGal456, and Tina asks, I'm not sure I can put this whole DJ signing on Cashman and the Yankees. DJ says he wants to be a Yankee. At the same time, we all know it's about money with these players, not the pinstripes. Do you feel some of this is on DJ too, and by now there should have been an agreement? Well, as far as what DJ's been asking for, it kind of seems like there's a different report each week. Like for a while at first, we were hearing that he was asking for five years and 100 million. Now you're hearing some reports that he might want five years in 125 and that the asking price just keeps on increasing. I mean, it's tricky. What have I been saying for months now? That in the offseason, typically with negotiations, but especially even more so in an offseason like this one, it's really unpredictable. Free agency is as stagnant as it's ever been, and there are probably a ton of negotiations going on behind the scenes that we don't even know about. But as far as moves being made and actual deals getting done, 
it's extra tricky this offseason, tougher than ever. But I would say it's on both sides, really. Obviously, DJ wants his money, and the Yankees want to stay at a certain amount of years and a certain amount of money because they're determined to save money this offseason and cut payroll. So I'd really say it's on both sides, honestly. Takes two to tango, you know? I don't doubt that DJ wants to be back, and I also don't doubt that the Yankees want him back. But you said it yourself, Tina. It's all about the money. That's to deal with many facets of life these days, unfortunately. That's what takes away from a lot of the beauty in life nowadays, just everybody cares about the money and the money only. But listen, that's the way it's been for a while with sports now, especially with baseball. It's a business, and if they can't agree on a certain amount of years and a certain amount of money, then DJ won't be back. You guys know for weeks and weeks now, ever since the beginning of the offseason, I've remained confident that he'll be back, and I'm still remaining confident. But there are no guarantees at the same time, and if they can't find an agreement, he won't be back. We've heard that other teams have inquired about him. There were reports that came out this past week that the Blue Jays are pretty interested in him, which would definitely not be good for the Yankees because that would mean he would be in the AL East and you'd have to see him often. It's not really ideal for one of your best players to go to a division rival. There were reports that the Mets asked about him, which is not a surprise at all because ever since Steve Cohen became their owner, they've thrown their hat in on just about anybody that's been available, which, hey, that's good for them. The Mets and their fans have waited longer than we can even imagine for that. They have waited forever to have an owner that is willing to spend the money wherever necessary in order to improve the team, someone who actually cares about the team winning. So that is an incredible and well-deserved breath of fresh air for the Mets and their fans. But even they asked about him, and obviously this all depends on what they might offer him as well, because of course DJ, I assume, is at least hearing out other teams and what they have to offer him. And the Yankees may be waiting to act accordingly based on those other offers too. That's what free agency is all about. A lot of factors go into it. Where they want to be personally, if they have a family, if living in that actual city is to their liking, obviously the years and the money, a lot of factors go into where a player signs. Obviously, we know this. I think it's on both sides to get a deal done. I think it's on the Yankees for knowing what they can and can't do. I mean, we know that the Yankees can do anything. Remember, as I've well established, they have mapped out that they're looking to cut payroll and save money and that they lost money because of what the pandemic did to the sport. We've heard them say all this, but I have also well established, and many people have echoed this because it's the truth, nobody, nobody feels bad about the Yankees financially. Let's get that straight. So the Yankees can do anything, but since they are cutting payroll, they have to operate according to their budget, and it's up to them to know what they would be willing to do or willing to pay and what they would not be willing to pay. And of course, as far as DJ, he's going to want what he wants, and he's been standing pretty firm on what he wants from what we've seen so far because January is in just a few days and the deal hasn't gotten done yet. And it does look like my prediction is coming true after all. I said that these negotiations would make their way into January, and it's looking that way. How far into January, I'm not sure. With my luck, it'll happen during the two weeks I'm taking off from doing the show. <laughs> That'll definitely be what happens. But it's taken a long time, and probably a little bit of all those factors I mentioned are probably taking place. Just so many factors go into it. But with the Yankees and DJ specifically, again, I would just put it on both of them if there even is anything to put on them. It's negotiations. I don't doubt that either side wants the other, but it still is a business and it's negotiations. So I would just say it's on both. DJ wants what he wants and the Yankees are operating according to their budget. And of course, a lot of it has to do with what the pandemic did to the sport, as I mentioned earlier as well, leading to how stagnant free agency has been this offseason as we all predicted it 
would be. I knew this would be as slow as an offseason as it is. So none of this is surprising to me whatsoever. So it's just a lot of factors involved, Tina. But again, I would just put it on both sides if I had to put anything on either side. It's negotiations during a never-before-seen offseason like this one. All right, next question comes from Rebecca at Peace Now for Life. And Rebecca asks, can the Yankees win the World Series as presently constructed? As of right now, meaning without them signing another starter after Garrett Cole and with not having DJ back, and if he isn't to come back, not finding a suitable replacement? Like, as of right now, without any moves being made going into next year? No. They cannot win the World Series constructed like this. They have good pieces on the team, of course. You have Glaber Torres. You have Gio Urshela. You have Luke Voigt. You have Giancarlo Stanton. You have Aaron Judge. You have Clint Frazier. And of course, if he has a resurgence this year, you'll have Gary Sanchez. And yeah, you have Garrett Cole in the rotation, out in the bullpen. You could expect Chad Green, Zach Britton, and Roldis Chapman to still be manning the back end. So yeah, you definitely still have some big pieces on this team. But as of now, without any of those crucial moves having been made, either bringing DJ back or finding a suitable replacement for him and finding another solid starting pitcher to back up Garrett Cole come 2021, just to name a couple of the crucial things the Yankees should do this offseason, then no, they cannot win the World Series as they are right now. They definitely have some work to do. Up next in this Q&A, we have Justin at its underscore bleach bit, and Justin asks, this isn't exactly a Yankee question, but a baseball question. What do you think MLB could do to get more younger people interested in baseball? This is just an observation from Twitter alone, but NBA Twitter seems to have a much younger audience than MLB Twitter, which brings up my point of what is the NBA doing to draw in such a younger audience compared to the MLB? Well, that's a really good question, and as we've seen from years now, that's something that the league itself has been wrestling with for a long time. But I have addressed this many times myself on this podcast, particularly when the negotiations were going on between the Players Association and the owners, because they were talking about all the rule changes and what they think would attract more viewers to the game. And they just don't get it. And many others like Trevor Bauer and John Boy have echoed the exact same thing, and I completely agree with them. But I think Major League Baseball needs to learn how to market itself better. And social media is a fantastic example of that, especially something like Twitter. So I'm glad you brought that example up. But you're absolutely right about the other fan bases. And you know what they have that a lot of baseball fans don't? Proper marketing of their sport. The highlights, the discussion about the sport on social media, the access to content. I've voiced so many times how crazy it gets me when people might not be home or they may not have access to the channel that a certain game might be on and they can't find a way to access that game. All the Major League Baseball content, they can't find a way. And then if they do, sometimes they have to pay extra for it or they may just get blacked out from it anyway, especially if you're in that particular area, then they'll black you out from watching the game. These things called blackout restrictions, the worst thing ever for Major League Baseball thanks to their stupid TV deals. So when it comes to their content, baseball just does a lot of things wrong. Major League Baseball just does not know how to market their product or even the faces of their game. The big, big names, the big players, they just don't do a good job with marketing. They're really lousy at it. And they need to create a system that's much easier for people to access their content too. 
I've given this example many times. I was in Wisconsin visiting some cousins of mine. This was back in 2019. There was a Yankees and Red Sox game on. It was on ESPN that night. And I wasn't in New York, and the cousin's house that I was over didn't happen to have cable. So I didn't have access to ESPN through a television. So I went on the MLB at Bad app and tried to see if I could get it up on there. And obviously for MLB.tv, I saw that I have to pay. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm pretty desperate to watch this game. It's a Yankees-Red Sox game. I want to see it. So I paid the money just for a temporary purposes so I can see this game. And because it was on ESPN, it's a national broadcast, they nationally blacked it out for MLB.tv for everybody around the country. Because it was a national broadcast on ESPN, it doesn't matter where you were trying to access the game on MLB.tv, you were blacked out. And a lot of people experience this exact same problem. They'll be on vacation, or they'll be doing this or that, even if they're just not home and they want to watch the game on their phone, maybe through MLB.tv or other means. And because of the television deals the league makes, they black you out. They don't allow you to watch it. That draws less eyeballs, it gets fans frustrated, and you lose fans that way. And on top of possibly losing those fans, that also takes away opportunity to gain new ones. A lot of business, guys, a great deal of it, a lot of you know this already, is how you market it, how you promote it. And if you don't do that the right way, you're not going to gain a lot of new fans, and you might even lose the ones you already have. I was livid that day when I gave them my money, MLB.tv, because I wanted to watch the Yankees and Red Sox game because I wasn't in New York, I wasn't at home, I didn't have access to cable, and I said, hey, I'm paying for the product, they gotta give it to me, right? Nope. (laughs) Nothing. How crazy is that, that you could still pay for the product and they don't even give you the content just because it's national broadcast and they want you to watch the cable network? Newsflash, Major League Baseball, not everybody has cable. Problem is, they don't care about the fans. They just don't care. And that's why their product is dying, and that really hurts me to say that. I definitely do think that they need to attract a younger audience. And even they know that. They've addressed that need, and that's why they're doing so much to change the game, only that their changes aren't helping anything. And they're only alienating the fans like myself, who have been watching for a long time now, and love the game like it is. And there are certain changes out there that people would be okay with, including myself, but they're not addressing the right ones. And they have no idea how to properly enforce those changes, how to choose the ones that would truly help. And they don't market themselves properly. So I hope I've given enough reasons. I think it's a little bit of all of that that I just spoke about as to what they could do to gain a younger audience or just more fans in general. It's a problem they have and they know it's a problem they have. They just don't know how to properly address it. So it's a little bit of all of that. Very long answer. I do hope that I answered it well enough and to your liking. Gotta market themselves better. That's the main thing. Particularly on social media, as you said. It's much harder to gain access to baseball content on social media and basically anywhere else on the internet than it is to get content from the other sports. And that is a problem. All right, onwards we go. Up next is at Laker 477, and they ask, The recent sale of the Mets got me thinking about this, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Do you think the Steinbrenner family will ever sell the team? And if so, do you see it happening anytime soon? No, I do not. <laughs> I've gotten this question before, believe it or not. A lot of people have asked me, do you think the Steinbrenners will ever sell the team? I think they will eventually. I don't think any one family holds on to anything forever. Everything ends eventually. So they'll sell it eventually. Exactly when, I really don't know. But I do not see it happening anytime soon. And I could be wrong, but if it does happen soon, I will 
will be absolutely shocked. So I guess my answer is eventually, because, I mean, everything comes to an end at some point. I do see the Steinbrenners eventually selling sometime in the future, but when they do, I'm not exactly sure. It's really tough to tell something like that, especially with a family like the Steinbrenners who have owned the Yankees for as long as they have. But one thing I can say for sure, in my opinion, I definitely do not see it happening anytime soon. Up next, we have at Evan D. Wetzel 4, and Evan actually asked me two questions, so we'll go one at a time. The first question was, Cashman reads the market well. How do you view the issues related to this offseason? Why do they exist, and what will cause them to change? Well, a lot of the issues of the offseason are because of the pandemic and what it did to the sport. Some individual teams and their financial well-beings, I have to imagine especially the smaller market teams, and because of all this, some teams are just much more unwilling to spend this offseason because they need to save up, and perhaps instead of spending the big bucks, they'll be looking at more economically friendly ways to solve their problems. So I think it's definitely safe to say that that's why it exists because of what's happened this year, and teams just being much more careful with their money and maybe not meeting a lot of asking prices of some of the free agents out there. And what'll cause them to change? Well, I think it'll be certainly helpful once the vaccine is fully out there, and Major League Baseball deems it safe for fans to return to the stadium. Once the seasons get back to normal, they can maybe get some money back. I mean, I personally don't doubt that Major League Baseball and a decent amount of the owners maybe lost a good amount of money. But I think on certain things like television deals and things like that this past offseason, I still think they found ways to make money even though fans weren't in attendance. The fans not being in attendance, did that hurt? Of course it did. So much of the revenue is surrounded by the fans attending the games and spending their money. We've had this discussion many times for months now, but I think when much of it returns to normal, once the vaccine is distributed a lot more, more people take it, especially within Major League Baseball, fans return to the games, season returns to normal, and just everything like that when there's more stability for Found, then I assume that's when it'll go back to normal, right? You have to assume that's the right answer. So a lot has to happen, and of course, as this whole year has been, the next few months are very uncertain. So that was the first question, and the second question Evan had for me was, with the winter meetings canceled, how will it impact the length time frame, and structure of an already stagnant market. Well, the winter meetings weren't canceled. They were just 100% virtual and much different than ever, like everything has been. So they weren't really canceled, but I get what you're saying. But yeah, in the winter meetings, with the exception of just three or four moves, not much happened. Carlos Santana signed with the Royals. Adam Eaton signed back with the White Sox. Lance Lynn was traded to the White Sox. And very little things happened here and there, but really there was nothing to the winter meetings this year. And there was a lot of buzz and a lot of rumors. That's usually the deal every year at the winter meetings, even if nothing does happen, but really nothing happened this year. So with a lot of names still out there beyond the winter meetings, and there are still usually a decent amount of names out there in prior years after the winter meetings, not all signings get solved at the winter meetings, obviously. But I mean, really, little to nothing at all got done this year. And that's not really good for the offseason as far as excitement is concerned. That in an already slow offseason, not much happened during the winter meetings, and there are still a lot of players out there possibly looking for a home or a new home in 2021. So that definitely extended the time frame, I would say, of the already stagnant market, not much happening. And maybe the winter meetings being virtual had an effect on that. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. Certainly could have affected some people not meeting in person as opposed to maybe a Zoom meeting. That could have definitely had a negative effect. But yeah, the winter meetings being the way that they were, both the fact that they were virtual and especially the fact that really nothing happened. The White Sox did well with the couple of moves they made, but that's about it. And even those moves weren't like, oh my god, stop the press. So yeah, not only the winter meetings themselves, but just everything overall. It's really all led to such a stagnant market. The virus, which has led to the financial aspect, the winter meetings being virtual, T 
teams being careful with their money, operating on a budget, cutting payroll. It's just so many factors. You could do an entire show on that. And I have a lot the last few months. I've spent a lot of time talking about the financial aspect and free agency and how slow of an offseason I expected it to be at the beginning. And I've been here every single week throughout talking about it. So yeah, the winter meetings or the lack thereof with the moves being made and the fact that it was virtual and just about everything else that happened, it didn't help anything. Definitely impacted the structure, time frame, everything that you mentioned of the slow market. Next, we have my good friend at Laura underscore Eismont, and Laura asks, This is probably on every Yankee fan's mind, but when should we expect the Yankees to make their first move of the offseason? Well, the Yankees have made certain internal moves, like they brought Zach Britton back, they took on his option, he'll be here for this coming season and the 2022 season after they did that, they tendered Gary Sanchez a contract, as well as guys like Luis Sessa and Ben Heller, they made their very, very low-scale and low-risk signings like Adam Warren and Nestor Cortez Jr. So yeah, they've done very low risk, very small scale, minuscule moves that could end up working out, especially like Adam Warren and Nestor Cortez Jr. Low risk guys that could end up being low risk, high reward, who knows? But very small scale moves. But I assume the moves you're talking about are guys like, I don't know, maybe like a Trevor Bauer, adding somebody big to the rotation like him, Corey Kluber, Cole Hamels, Tomoyuki Sogano from Japan. Some people have even mentioned Jake Odorizzi, bringing Tanaka back, or maybe even trading for somebody, even though I don't think this would ever happen, but maybe like a Blake Snell. Some people have mentioned a Kyle Hendricks, and even more pitching names out there, or even as a bullpen piece, someone like Archie Bradley or Liam Hendricks, and for offense and or on the field, bringing DJ back, and if you don't, then you find a suitable replacement for him. So if you're talking about moves like that, then yes, the Yankees haven't done anything yet, as virtually no one else has, but I would definitely say at least in the month of January, I've been saying that for a while now, and with January only being a few days away now, again, that's looking to come true, but I'd say maybe at some point in like the middle of the month, because... I mean, if the season isn't pushed back and it starts on time, spring training starts on time and everything, then you'll be running out of time when it comes to much later than January. So I think there's a chance you might see things get a little busier in January, whether it be re-signing DJ or not, or something else entirely. But maybe you see things kick up a little bit more in January. We'll see. That's just my guess. Next, we have at Savage Empire Pod, and they ask, why haven't we got Bauer yet? I need answers, Mike. (laughs) I'm not sure. I mean, beyond the general reason of why basically no teams are making any moves at all, it could also be that the Yankees just aren't interested in him. They don't think it's worth getting him here. They don't think that he's worth paying the amount of money he might ask for. They don't think that his personality would fit well here amongst the fans or in the clubhouse, maybe. I don't know. It could be a variety of different things. I mean, after what Cashman said in his interviews a week or two ago, I do think that he will be adding a pitcher. I hope it's a top-line one, one that could be a nice number two to Garrett Cole, but I don't know. I myself have said that I really don't think we'll see Bauer in a Yankee uniform as much as I would like it, but maybe they just don't think it's a good fit for financial reasons or personal reasons just with the organization or the fans. I mean, whether it be him or another top-line-esque starter, the Yankees definitely need one, but it could be a bunch of different factors as to why they haven't gotten him. But of course, we still have well over a month to go until the offseason is over, so there is still time left. At YanksGirl04 asks, is there enough tissues in the free world should they not not resign DJ. <laughs> no, there are not. All right, we'll do a couple of more here on Twitter. Up next, we have at Kylie sixty four sixty four, and she asks Talkman. 
He's safe from being traded for now, right? That's a big concern for me right now. All right, so we got a Talkman fan in Kylie here. I mean, if you listen to Yapping Yankees, I believe it was a week ago. The last two weeks I've spoken about Cashman interviews, but I think it was the ones I spoke about last week in which Cashman actually revealed... I don't know if you remember, that some teams have actually inquired about Talkman. Now, when I spoke about this, I said this, and I'll reiterate this, but I was kind of surprised to hear that. I was like, they are? <laughs> I was like, okay, then. So, I mean, if teams are inquiring about him, and he could be used in a package deal to get somebody essential to improve a certain aspect of the Yankee team, then I think we could very well see him go. So, I think it's at least a little possible if teams are asking about him. I mean, granted, it was the weird, never-before-seen shortened season that it was, but he really did poorly in 2020, and there was a serious regression from what we saw in 2019. But if he were to stay, he could still be used for solid outfield depth, but according to Cashman, teams have asked about him. Very interesting. And again, I don't know if that's going to lead anywhere, but it could. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, if a team asked for him in a trade package that would really help the Yankees, I mean, I'm giving him up. If it were essential to the team improving, I wouldn't think twice about it. So I don't think it's safe to say either one, that he'll stay or that he's getting traded. I wouldn't be opposed to him staying for the fact that he's a left-handed bat, and as I said before, he could be used for outfield depth. But also, if a team asks for him in a trade package that could really help the Yankees, I'm also not thinking twice about it. As Michael K says, see ya. So <laughs> we'll see. But interesting question, Kylie. Very interesting. Interesting. Some food for thought there. And lastly, we'll finish off with at Andrew Caruso 77 here on Twitter. And Andrew asks, if the Yanks don't re-sign DJ, what will the infield look like in 2021? Will the Yanks try to get Lindor? Also, will Gary Sanchez and Higashioka split time behind the dish next year? Well, yeah, I think it's possible they try to get Lindor. And if they do get him, they'll extend him because otherwise he'll just be a rental. I have to imagine that's what they would do. But there are other options out there. Some people have mentioned Trevor's story. Some people who loved him on his time on the Yankees and would love to see a reunion have even mentioned Didi. Some people have mentioned they would love a reunion with him. Andrelton Simmons has been thrown around as a possibility. And now that I think about it, weeks ago here on Yapping Yankees, I'm pretty sure I made mention of a report that I believe that the Yankees were interested in him at one point. Now, again, I do not have a good memory at all, but I'm pretty sure there was an episode where I spoke about a report that came out that said that the Yankees were looking into Andrelton Simmons. It was definitely like somewhere from five to eight weeks ago or something like that. But I'm pretty sure there was a report on that, and I mentioned it here on the show, and I spoke about it a little bit. All of these names, of course, in the case of DJ not returning, would take shortstop, at which point they would probably slide Glaber over to second base. So that's more or less what it would look like, of course, depending on who they get, but those names I mentioned would go to shortstop. As far as Gary and Higashioka, yeah, I would say it's a safe bet that they're going to be alternating behind the plate, but expect Gary Sanchez to be the starter. At least that's what I would think they would do. But then, of course, we'll have to see how the season progresses, because if Gary is just abysmal again, then you might see Higashioka getting more playing time again, so it also depends on how they progress throughout the season, especially Gary, because we know that in 2021, he's going to have a lot of eyeballs on him. I don't think that Gary has ever had any more pressure on him than the pressure he has heading into 2021. So yeah, expect them to alternate time. I think it's safe to assume that Gary will be the starter at least to kick the season off, but then from there, we're just going to have to see how they progress. But thank you for the question, Andrew, and thank all of you on Twitter who submitted a question to me for this Q&A. Really great questions all around this week. I really enjoyed answering them. And of course, whether 
I got to you or not, I appreciate each and every one of you who submitted a question infinitely. It's much, much appreciated. And if I didn't get to you, you know the deal. Just keep on submitting questions or answers, depending on what I do for the social media segment week by week. Of course, if it's a poll, then just expand upon your vote. Give me your thoughts in the comments, and I'll do my best to get to it. If it's an open-ended question like it was last week, then submit your answer to that in the comments. And of course, if it's a Q&A like it was this week, then do exactly what you did today. But otherwise, we still got Instagram to get to, so let's see what kind of questions were submitted over on Instagram. We'll read a few of these, and then we'll talk about our news for the day, the news that I teased you with at the beginning of the show, with the Yankees donation, the Yankees saying goodbye to a big bullpen arm, and also talking a little bit about CC Sabathia's HBO documentary. Over on Instagram, our first question comes from Sheba Husky Lover, and they ask, do you think Brian Cashman has his job for as long as he wants, even if he doesn't deliver another World Series title? If not, how much longer without a title can he go before a parting of ways? Well, I've already said it many times before. But the amount of years that Brian Cashman has already been the Yankees general manager for is pretty remarkable in itself. It is so rare that any general manager in any sport stays with any one organization as long as Cashman has been with the Yankees. I mean, going back to when he first started with the Yankees organization at any capacity from the very beginning, they hired him as an intern in 1986, which is about to be 35 years ago. Then a few years after that, he was the assistant general manager, and then in 98, he was elevated to being the general manager of the Yankees, of course, the current position that he's in. Only at the age of 30, and he's been in that position going on 23 years. That is a long time, and obviously the last time the Yankees won was almost 12 years ago, back in 2009. And for the Yankees, that's a pretty considerable amount of time without a championship. Since the Yankees won their first title back in 1923, their longest drought was the 18 years from 1978 to 1996. They went 18 years without winning, and now they're going on to their 12th as of this moment. And I'm sure that's definitely on Cashman's mind. It's definitely on everybody else's mind. So that, combined with how long he's already been here? Hmm. I don't know, that's tough. The Yankees obviously have so much loyalty to him. He's had his hits and misses as general manager. I know a couple of people are only giving him maybe another year or two because their patience has just run low and they want to win a title. But from the Yankees' perspective, thinking of what they would do... I would maybe say if they don't win within the window of the next five years or so, five to ten years or so, I would basically say when this current window right now closes. Like, maybe when Cole is almost done, when Glaber's around 30 or in his 30s, when Aaron Judge gets older, when guys like Seve get older. You get what I'm saying? So basically in the next five to ten years, which by then will be just about as much or more than the 18-year drought from 1978 to 1996, then I think it's possible that the Yankee organization might be looking for a change at GM. That's just a guess. I don't know. But it's really tough because the Yankees are so loyal to Brian Cashman, and he's already been, unlike most others or all other general managers, being hired as the GM at as young of an age as he was, being with them for almost a quarter of a century, which just think about how rare that is for general managers. My God. That, like, never happens. But it's tricky. That's a tough question. So I think I'll stick with that answer. Basically, when this window of opportunity right now closes. And if there's not even a single world title more by then, then I think the Yankees might start to consider other options. But who knows? That's a tough question. Next, we have my good friend James, the Dark Knight 025, better known on Twitter as Black Rebirth 52 
Big shout out to James for being such a dear friend of mine. So many of you listeners are as well. I love all of you. But anyway, James is asking, here is the biggest question I need answered. And it's not the DJ signing. What are the Yankees going to do about starting pitching? Because if you're telling me it's Cole and kids until Sevy comes back... I don't like our chances. Well, James, if you heard the show at all, basically since the offseason started, you would know that I could not agree with you more. I don't want to keep beating this to death, but yeah, the starting pitching needs a lot of help. I've gone through the Yankees' projected rotation and all pitchers they have right now for 2021 ad nauseum. You guys are probably about ready to tune out by now with that discussion. But yeah, so many question marks, even with Sevy. Think of how long he hasn't been on a major league mound facing live hitting, and he got the biggest surgery a pitcher could get in Tommy John surgery. There's no guarantees that he'll even be the same when he returns. For obvious reasons, all reasons we've went through with him and all the rest. Domingo Herman is a question mark. Montgomery's a question mark. David Garcia is even a bit of a question mark. Clark Schmidt is a question mark. And I don't want Jonathan Lewisica anywhere near the rotation. And some people have even mentioned Michael King. And yeah, does he have potential? I think he does, yeah. But whenever he's out there, especially in middle relief, and they need him to eat some innings, he usually always falls apart in like the third inning. He just can't really seem to pitch for very long. I don't know. Again, I've beaten this subject to absolute death, so I don't want to spend another 10 minutes on it. You've heard me talking about this to no end for weeks and weeks and weeks now. But yeah, James, they definitely need starting pitching. You ask what they should do? Well, whether it be from trade or signing, there are names out there, many of which I mentioned earlier. Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber, Tanaka's out there if you want to bring him back, Cole Hamels, Jake Odorizzi, the list goes on and on and on. We've heard basically all the names. And I've said, as far as what I think they should do about pitching, you know that I've been a Trevor Bauer advocate, but I've also said that I really don't think that we'll see Trevor Bauer in a Yankee uniform, and I still stand by that all these weeks later since I originally said that. But yeah, they definitely could use another top-line starter. They need it. Too many unknowns in this rotation. All right, let's do a couple more. Of course, the two mainstays for Instagram replies. First up is my girlfriend, Vic Salimo, and Vic asks, do you think we will have fans in the stands in 2021? Now, I think this is the same question my mom asked on the Q&A a couple of weeks ago, but I'll basically just reiterate what I said to her, and that answer is that it really just depends on what happens with the vaccine in the coming months, just like the vaccine is a big determining factor as to whether they'll push the season back or not. It all depends depends on that. The vaccine, also what the virus is doing by then, is it still spreading massively by that time? So honestly, right now, as I said a couple of weeks ago and I'll say it again, there still really is not a definite answer to that as of right now, Victoria. Maybe they could do capacity seating with enforced social distancing rules, maybe, something like that, like they did in the NLCS in the World Series, but I'm honestly not sure as of right now, and I'm not sure much of anybody else's either. So, as much as I would love to give you a sure answer, I unfortunately can't. We'll just have to see how the next couple of months go. And also, by the way, it also depends on each state. Each individual state, what they're going through with the virus, and what their guidelines and rules are. That too so we'll just have to wait and see. And last but not least, as always, we have my amazing mother, Julia Gina Scudero, and she asks, this is a long message, just having watched the CC Sabathia documentary, do you think we will ever see a day where the Yankees team will gel together like the pyramid it was when players like CC, Jeter, A-Rod, Mariano, Teixeira, Posada, 
Pettit, and so on worked so well together that every time each one of them came up to bat, pitch, play defense, or whatever it was that they did best, we were secure knowing that our best guys who truly knew how to make the team run like a well-oiled machine would save the day. I'm not feeling that, even if we have some amazing players on this team today, that they work well together. They seem scattered instead of together, trying to hit it out of the park while incapable of even making contact for an entire game or dead defense, whatever the case may be. Watching that documentary on CeCe truly made me remember clearly the feeling and the reason why the team won the World Series in 2009 and can't seem to ever pull that off anymore. We need the magic back. P.S. Please watch that documentary. You will love it. Well, that ending statement about the documentary is definitely true, I can tell you that much. But hey, yeah, listen. On that 09 team, you had a lot of experienced veterans who were great at what they do for many years. There was a boatload of talent on that team in every aspect, as you say, offensively, defensively, and even in that rotation with the three main guys really just being CC, Pettit, Burnett, obviously having the Sandman, Mariano Rivera out in the bullpen, and then that murderous offense, Jeter, Damon, Teixeira, A-Rod, Matsui, Posada, Cano, even Melky Cabrera, Nick Swisher was there. Oh god, I could just rattle off the names forever. I loved that 09 team so much, and I remember them all, and I remember the championship like it was yesterday. All of it, just like it was two minutes ago. That truly was a special team. You had a lot of experienced vets, and just a group of legends on that team that really gelled together and put together a hell of a season, and rightfully so, they ended up going all the way. Right now on this current squad, you got a lot of younger guys who I think are still finding their footing, and to this point, some of them have had more years to do so than others have. But I get what you're saying, Mom. That 09 team was special, and it might be a while until we see another team like that. Maybe when these guys find their footing right now, and most importantly, staying on the field. I think that's this current squad's main problem. Since 2017, the Yankees have had an overabundance of talent. They've had huge names on the team, huge accomplishments all throughout. But I think it's just a mix of getting hurt, maybe not coming through in a key situation or key situations, plural, the pitching not coming through in certain moments, the offense for getting out of hit in crucial moments, and it just hasn't happened for them. And I don't know when the next time is going to be for the Yankees, but again, I hope it's within the next five or ten years or so. That'd be pretty bad if it didn't, with some of the talents they have on the team right now. If those guys ended up retiring without a championship, that'd be a shame. Like the Aaron Judges, the Garrett Coles, the Glaber Torres, if those guys retired without a ring, that'd be really crappy. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, but if they don't win in that amount of time during these guys' careers, that's a real failure. But yes, obviously compared to the 2009 team, that was just a fantastic team filled with legends, experienced veterans, just a boatload of talent. The possibilities for that team were limitless, and I remember it all like yesterday. But I like you, Mom, and... All other Yankee fans, I'm sure, can agree with this. I, too, hope that they can find that magic again and give us that next championship because Lord knows how much I miss winning. As I've ranted about so much, the goal is to win a title, especially for the Yankees, and it's about time that they win another. But, yeah, I definitely miss that 09 team. I definitely do. But thank you, Mom, and thank you to you Instagrammers, and again, you tweeters as well, for all of your questions submitted on this week's Q&A. There were some of you who I unfortunately, again, could not get to. And as always, if you were one of them, just keep on submitting your comments. I promise you, I will keep on doing my best to get to you in the future. And if you do want to see the comments I didn't get to, or if you just want to see comments overall, whether I got to them or not, then head on over to my Twitter. Of course, you can't see the comments on my Instagram because people reply to them in my DMs, and as I always 
say, you do not have access to my DMs, nor will you get access to them. <laughs> so if you want to see the replies to the social media segment, of course, you could head over to Twitter. They're archived on there. Just scroll down on my timeline, find my Twitter page at Mike Scudero, find the social media tweet and read in the comments. All of the comments are there and you can read them for yourself after the fact. But again, thank you to each and every one of you, as always, for submitting your comments on this week's social media segment. You really all had good questions this week. I really, really enjoyed answering all of them. As you could probably tell by all the time I spent on it, because my God, now that I look at the time, we're like 45 minutes into the show. <laughs> All right, let's get right into Yankees news. First up in news today, we'll talk about the Yankees donation that they made to the community. Of course, we know how much of a hit businesses all over the country have taken as a result of the pandemic. So many have even gone out of business. And how the government has provided pitiful support. Of course, pitiful meaning basically nothing. But... All throughout, certain people or organizations have stepped up in order to help these people in need. And the Yankees have done that again here. And they released a statement across their social medias about their plans. And I'll read about maybe a paragraph or two. It was a long statement, so I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Otherwise, we're going to be here until my birthday next Sunday. So I'll read you a chunk of the beginning of it. That really maps out most of their plans. And if you want to read the rest of the statement for yourself, then I recommend you go to the Yankees' Twitter page. They have the entire statement mapped out in a tweet in multiple parts, and you could just go through it and read the entire thing for yourself, but I'm not looking to keep you here until next week. So here it goes. I'll just read you the beginning. Quote, the Yankees today announced their economic support of local businesses in the 161st Street Corridor around Yankee Stadium by funding the purchase of local goods and services, with all items being selected by and provided to local community groups that serve Bronx residents in need. As part of the Yankees' business-to-community initiative, the Yankees are committing $50,000 in winter spending with local businesses around the stadium in the form of 10 separate $5,000 awards. The level of support and the businesses selected were determined by the Bronx 16th Council District, led by Councilmember Vanessa L. Gibson. Given that the greatest immediate need among residents in the nearby community is food, the majority of the commitment will be directed toward local restaurants and food providers. With the guidance of the Bronx Council District 16 office, each business will be paired with a community-based organization to best meet the needs of those they serve. Each CBO will determine how money is spent at their assigned business entity. The Yankees are also working on this initiative in conjunction with the New York City Department of Small Business Services, which is helping businesses in need of assistance as a result of COVID-19 by facilitating access to new sales opportunities, offering technical assistance to unlock affordable business financing, and providing free business consulting. The Yankees' business-to-community initiative continues the team's multifaceted efforts to provide aid to local residents as they cope with the COVID-affected economy during the holiday season, including $200,000 worth of food vouchers to help families in preparing their holiday meals, 68,000 pounds of food donated directly to those in need, and holiday gifts for thousands of children, end quote. Now, as I said, there's a lot more after that, and I think that was reading plenty as it is. But again, just go to the Yankees' Twitter page if you want to read the rest of the statement. There are a lot more pictures below the tweet in a whole thread, below the main tweet. 
so you could read the rest of the statement, the entirety of all of it to yourself. There are a ton of paragraphs and multiple pictures, so just for the purpose of the show, I'm obviously not going to sit here and read that entire thing to you. Again, it would literally take like 15 minutes. It's a long statement. And despite how good of a cause it is, I'm not going to put you, the one listening to this show, through that. Just the length of it. But because of how good of a cause it is, I definitely wanted to at least shed some light on it today. And again, if you want to read it for yourself, just go to the Yankees Twitter account. There's a main tweet with the first parts of it, and then the rest of it is in more pictures underneath the main tweet. And the Yankees have each part of it in that thread, starting with the main tweet up top. If you have Twitter, you know what I'm talking about. So 50 grand in winter spending to local businesses and $200,000 worth of food vouchers, 68,000 pounds to families, and also holiday gifts to thousands of children. So also helping out children and families overall. So the Yankees providing some help to the local residents in the Bronx. So definitely a nice thing to do. They did receive some flack for this, both because people were like, really, $50,000, that's it? The Yankees are worth $5 billion, they couldn't give more? I mean, yeah, they're the Yankees and they have a ton of money. Nobody's disputing that. But they really didn't even have to do this in general. It's their money. They could spend it however they want. I mean, I'm not telling you out there how to spend your money, and you're not telling me how to spend my money. So that's that. And I'm pretty sure the people receiving this help in the Bronx are very grateful for it. So why don't you just try to focus on that a little bit more? And who knows? Maybe over time the Yankees will provide even more help. We'll have to see. But yeah, good job to the Yankees. Tip your cap to them helping out the residents in the Bronx. I've even shed some light about how much trouble the local businesses are in and how terrible I feel for all of them. Being forced out of their livelihood and then even after that, not being given any help whatsoever from the government. It just really isn't right. It truly is heartbreaking to see this happen to all these businesses, not only here in New York, but throughout the whole country. This is a nationwide issue and it's really hurting the economy. And lots of families are in big trouble as a result of it. Lots of people. And it's just terrible to watch. So any bit of help, of course, should be appreciated, regardless of how rich that person or that organization is that's helping. So it is a nice thing the Yankees did for the Bronx residents. And a lot of other wealthy people or organizations have helped out too and donated their own amount of money. And you know what? Tip your cap to them too. They're able to help. They did. And they've shown that they care about the community. No matter how much they donated, they helped in their own way. Whether it be more money than the Yankees or less money than the Yankees, it doesn't matter. They helped. And in this world right now, we need people to help, support, and love each other more than almost ever. And yet we have people over here judging how much money somebody's giving as opposed to somebody else. This isn't a contest. Again, yes, I understand. The Yankees are beyond rich. They're worth $5 billion. I know. I'm not stupid. I'm aware. I've heard it all before. Gun to their head. Could they give away more? Of course they could because they're beyond wealthy. But am I one to jump on somebody for how much they donate? No, not at all. I'm personally the one that looks at the situation and says, wow, look, they helped out. That was very nice of them. Nobody forced them to do it. They did it by themselves. And good for them. And another bunch of dopey comments I saw put underneath the tweet about the Yankees announcing that they're helping out the local Bronx residents were Yankee fans commenting something along the lines of, cool, now sign DJ. Listen, guys, I want DJ re-signed badly, too. I've said that many times, many weeks since the offseason started, since before the offseason even began. I mentioned it once or twice about DJ having to be re-signed in the offseason, okay? The point is, I get it. But there's just one thing I'm going to say in response to this mind-numbingly stupid response to a post about the Yankees helping out the community. And that response is that there is a time and a place for everything. 
Yes, even ball busting. You just gotta know when sometimes something is not appropriate, whether it's a joke or not. And on a tweet about the Yankees helping out Bronx residents and local businesses that are struggling to even get by as a result of the virus, being told they can't work or operate, and receiving no help from the government, that is one of those times where you should maybe hold off on the re-signing DJ tweets and or responses. That's just a little bit of advice for you. Time and a place for everything, guys. A crucial part of being funny, which I think a lot of you could use a lesson in because everybody thinks they're a freaking comedian. But I tell you, it's times like this where people's stupidity really never ceases to amaze me. And social media, especially Twitter, a place where I consider to be the cesspool of humanity, is a fantastic place to remind you of how moronic and heartless some people can be. But, a donation of any kind to people truly in need, whether it be a business or something for a good cause, is never heartless or moronic. And for that, I tip my cap to the Yankees and anybody else, whether it be an individual person or another organization, that has also donated throughout this time where so many people, countless amounts of people, are struggling. And just keep doing what you're doing whenever you can. Because us good people will continue to recognize it and appreciate it. So that was me addressing the idiots who felt a need to negatively comment on the Yankees donation, as well as me commenting on the donation itself. And again, any individual person, organization, or group, whatever it may be, that makes a donation like this to a cause like this, will always get the positive recognition that it deserves from me, and all others like me. So that's the deal with the Yankees donation to Bronx residents and local businesses. Also in Yankees news, I teased to you before that a big bullpen arm, someone I consider at least to be a big bullpen arm, I think it's definitely fair to consider them as such, has signed elsewhere and will no longer be in a Yankee uniform. And that is none other than Tommy Canely. As of this past Wednesday, he had officially signed a two-year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is technically a one-year deal because you could basically bet on him missing the 2021 season because of his Tommy John surgery that he had in the shortened 2020 season. So it's technically a one-year deal since you probably won't see him return until 2022. But the Dodgers thought to sign him to a two-year deal and take a chance on it. They are rolling the dice on Tommy Tight Pants, as many Yankee fans came to call him. But anyway... I know I'm going to miss Tommy Canely, and I won't forget all the big moments he had with the Yankees. He was huge in 2017 and 2019. He had that dead arm issue in 2018. He wasn't the same that year. And of course, in 2020, he only pitched in one game, and then he went down to injury and then got Tommy John surgery. Needed that good old UCL surgery. And in an offseason where the Yankees are trying to save money, and with Tommy Canely not set to pitch in 2021, I can't say I'm surprised that the Yankees let him go. And is Tommy Canely replaceable? Yeah, he He's replaceable. I've seen that from a lot of people that just aren't allowing the big Tommy Canely fans to feel sad about this signing. But I see both sides of it. Yeah, Tommy Canely is replaceable, but I certainly see why people are upset about it. I'm a little upset about losing him. I'll always remember how he contributed to that magical 2017 team that almost did it all, and I really wish they did. I'll always remember how huge he was in 2019. And for those people acknowledging that he's replaceable, yeah, he may be, but why don't you just let people be a little bit upset about it if they want? This guy definitely had his fair share of big moments on the Yankees. People can feel sad about it if they want. Give them a break. And whether people may want to admit it or not, I would say his absence was definitely felt throughout the 2020 shortened season, and even more so in the playoffs. So, more or less what I'm trying to say, as many others have said, 
Yes, Tommy Canely is replaceable. Almost anybody really is. Of course, you have your legends who aren't, but I'd say a really good amount of people are replaceable. But that doesn't mean you can't miss the guy. He had great times here, and he was really vital to the back end of that bullpen. The guy was fantastic, had electric stuff. When he developed that changeup, it made him even better. His changeup is ridiculous. And you can only hope that his electric fastball and his killer changeup are the same once he returns from Tommy John. And also not to mention his personality. I mean, come on. He's electric factory. <laughs> I've dedicated many episodes, particularly in the first spring training going into the 2020 season, to just how electrifying Tommy Canely was. Just messing around with the guys and doing these silly impressions and ridiculous sounds. <laughs> I still remember it like I covered it yesterday. If you go back to my first spring training episodes from this season, back in like February of 2020, you could hear all of that again. Or when he ran around the Yankee bullpen like a psychopath after a walk-off, and we all just watched him run around like a wild man on the bullpen camera. <laughs> it's just great memories. That was back in 2019. Only guys like a Tommy Canely or Nick Swisher have that kind of elite energy. But yeah, so his clubhouse presence will also be missed. There are certainly many attributes that Tommy Canely brings to the table that are going to be missed by many, including myself. And it's understandable. But he is going to be a Dodger now. And of course, I do wish Tommy luck in whatever the future holds, and I wish him a speedy recovery with the Tommy John. But when he does come back, if the Dodgers make it to the World Series, and he's pitching, and if the Yankees are in that other dugout facing them in that World Series, I hope he blows the game. But in in any other case, I wish him all the luck in the world, and I'm definitely going to miss him. But other than that, guys, lastly in news today, before we end, I wanted to talk to you about the CC Sabathia documentary on HBO, and this was really something else. The documentary was called Under the Grapefruit Tree, and the meaning of Under the Grapefruit Tree was that CeCe Sabathia, when he was younger, used to practice pitching in his grandmother's backyard. And in his grandmother's backyard, there was a grapefruit tree, and he would pick a grapefruit off the tree or off the ground, depending on where they were, and he would take a folding chair. He would put the folding chair folded out on the ground, of course. He would use it as a strike zone. He would use the grapefruit as his baseball, and he would throw the grapefruit at it and just practice pitching that way. All the while, dreaming of becoming a pitcher someday in the major leagues. Which, of course, as we all know, ended up coming true. And remarkably at that. So the meaning of that really goes back to his childhood. And it's really nice. And the documentary overall covers a great deal. It covers his early life, his relationship with his father, his parents splitting up when he was 12, and how he barely ever saw his father after his parents split up until he began his journey to the majors, then he saw him again when he got older. Basically, more or less after high school during his journey to the majors. That was when he really reconnected with his father. He also hit on finding out that his father had HIV, he went through addiction, and he later had cancer, and it was a cancer that HIV patients got, and still get, and it was a very aggressive form and really tough to overcome. A cancer that was would later kill his father in 2003, right after Cece's first kid was born, Little C, Little Cece Sabathia, who's just a few months older than my little brother. And that part was really emotional when Cece was talking about his father passing away, trying to get as many pictures as he could with him and Cece's son, of course, Cece's son with his grandfather. And then a couple of months after Cece and his wife Amber had their first son, that was when Cece's father passed away. It was in December of 03, I believe. And when Cece got all choked up about that, about trying to get as many pictures as possible with them two together, his father holding his grandson, and also Cece's father not being able to see Cece pitch in pinstripes, which was a dream of his, and that part got me choked up. It made me cry. Definitely got choked up during that. A tear or two fell, definitely. That was tough listening to. 
It was really, really heavy stuff. It really was. Especially given how important his father was to his life, and he mapped out how important he was. Even saying that he was literally, like, the main reason he was sitting there right now. So it's very, very sad. They also covered when he made it to the major leagues. Of course, he started with the Cleveland Indians. He was drafted by them. And they hit on a lot of his major league accomplishments and milestones in his years with the Indians. Being traded to the Brewers and being an absolute workhorse there for the second half of 2008. He got traded there at the trade deadline. And as he was throughout his entire career, he was an absolute workhorse for the Milwaukee Brewers. How he hit free agency in the offseason between 2008 and 2009. And then, of course, signing his seven-year 161 million dollar deal with the Yankees, and at the time it was the biggest contract for a pitcher ever, in case you forgot. They hit on the championship in his first year with the Yanks in 2009, and as I said before when talking about the 09 Yankees, boy do I remember that fondly. They hit on his 3,000th strikeout, 250 wins, the great pitching he did for the Yankees from 2009 up until 2013-ish, you name it, which leads me into his addiction, his struggle against alcoholism which, as CeCe said, was really present from when he was 14 years old. That was when he started drinking. But it really hit another level, maybe towards like the end of 2012 and the offseason heading into 2013. Of course, on the field with his numbers, we remember the window of 2013 to 2015 being really bad for CeCe, the worst years of his career. And it was no coincidence. He was going through a lot. And we knew he had an alcohol issue when he checked himself into the rehab just before the playoffs in 2015. I remember that very well, just before the postseason started. But until this documentary, we never really got the in-depth details of his struggles that we now have. And it takes a lot of courage for him to come forward and talk about it on a public forum like this. It's heavy, heavy stuff. Again, he started drinking at 14, and he was a big-time binge drinker. And without a doubt, Cece said this too, his father's and his cousin's deaths definitely pushed him even further into it, his cousin being Demetrius, his name was, who they nicknamed Mimi. And he was an idol of Cece's. And losing his father the way he did, after what they had also gone through prior, and suddenly losing his cousin, who he considered to be an idol of his, at just 45 years old from a massive heart attack, it pushed him even further into his addiction. And even though I never had an addiction, which I am blessed to be able to say, I definitely connected with Cece in the sense of really having the deaths of very important people, very close and meaningful people in your life really just knocking you down, and really just having all that pain just throw you into a very dark place. I personally could very much relate to that, so I really felt his pain on a deep level. And when he was playing baseball, he would drink the night after a start, whether he did good or bad. If he did good, it was celebrating that he did good. If he did badly, it would be because he was upset that he did badly. He even said himself, there was never a shortage of reasons for him to drink. And it got to a dangerous point in 2015, when he had actually gone a little while without drinking. And then when they clinched a playoff berth that year, someone handed him a drink, and he just drank and drank. To the point when just before the playoffs, the team was in Baltimore, last weekend of the regular season, and he was supposed to throw a bullpen one morning, and he couldn't do it because he was so drunk and hung over. And this was the breaking point for him. This all led to him finally acknowledging that he needed help, which resulted in him, as I said before, and we all remember, checking himself into rehab just before the playoffs, which was big. And at the time, he even confided in two close friends of his being Dellen Batansis and Chris Young, and they even further encouraged him to get the help that he needed. So, of course, the first step to solving a problem is realizing that there is a problem. And for a lot of people, that's the most difficult step. So that was huge in its own right by CeCe. So he finally got the help he needed, 
His rehab experience was really, really touching. They had him do an assignment where he had to write a note as one of his family members to him as if he passed away from alcoholism, and it was one of his family members writing a letter to him, but he had to pretend to be that family member. And he realized that halfway through the letter, he was writing to his father, which... It just came full circle. That was very emotional. That choked me up again. And Cece really made me cry, guys. He got me choked up. Stories like this are really, really emotional. So he finally got the help he needed and got himself on a better path in his life, both personally and even on the mound a bit. And he still wasn't the same pitcher as he was from 2009 to 2011, of course. Even 2012, his numbers weren't bad at all. Pretty solid. But he had shown improvements throughout, for sure. Much better than 2013 to 2015. But most importantly, he overcame the alcoholism and has maintained that to this day. And obviously, he would go on to pitch from there until his retirement in 2019, we remember all of this. And there was also one thing that I wanted to mention, because I didn't know this was as severe as it was at the time, but I'm talking about his heart problems between 2018 and 2019 in the 2018 offseason. I mean, the doctors told him that his heart might stop working at some point, like possibly at some point in the near future. That's scary crap. <laughs> I wouldn't even know what to do if I were told that by a doctor. But he went for stress tests, he put in all the work necessary, and I think it was at this point, really, that he and his family really knew that 2019 was going to be it. And I think they were at peace with that. It was just a huge accomplishment in its own right that he was able to overcome the alcoholism and come back and have a career after 2015. So I think he was at peace with the way things were going, having his 19th season in 2019 being it, and then enjoying life from there. And they spoke about all these heart problems at the beginning of the documentary, but I don't remember anything like that being that severe. That was crazy to watch at the beginning. Like, I don't remember hearing about that situation being as bad as it was. So that was crazy to learn in the documentary. And then they covered 2019 at the end of the line, pitching until he couldn't anymore after his left shoulder had been bothering him for a few weeks leading up to his final appearance, the outing out of the bullpen in Game 4 of the ALCS against the Astros at the stadium. They covered that, and when he was talking about how it all ended in the car with his wife Amber, he even left a nice little insult in there for the Astros by saying he was more upset about getting their asses kicked by those bleeping a-holes than the way it ended. Which is just great. <laughs> That was fantastic. But hey, as CeCe himself said, and as I also said both at the time and still say now, I don't think it could have ended in more of a CeCe sort of way. Pitching until he literally could not anymore. We remember how it went down. He tried to stay in that game with the Yankee Stadium crowd really cheering him on, but he just couldn't do it anymore. And it really ended in a CC sort of a way, pitching until he couldn't anymore. His left shoulder had been bothering him for weeks leading up to that bullpen appearance in Game 4. He got some outs, and then that was it. He had to be taken out of the game when he again just could not pitch anymore. And that's who CC is. He's a warrior. He's a workhorse. He always gave it his all. And that's exactly what he did right up until the end when he physically just couldn't do it anymore. But overall, my final verdict is that this documentary was so well put together. It was an emotional, sad, but also a very nice, inspirational, and important story with CeCe recounting key moments in his life and career leading up to his final pitch thrown in the 2019 postseason. And at the end of the documentary, even delving into what his post-baseball life is like and how much he's enjoying it, doing his R2C2 podcast with Ryan Rucco, who, as you guys know, I am a huge fan of, and just spending time with his family, being a dad to his kids, being a husband to Amber, his high school sweetheart. And it's really nice that in his sober lifestyle, enjoying being a dad, doing his podcast with Ryan Rucco, that he really seems to have found peace. And it was certainly important for his story to be told and heard. And like my mom did earlier, I 
definitely recommend you watch it when you get the chance, if you haven't already. CC is a favorite of mine, for sure. He was for many years. He's one of six Yankees I have in a poster in my room, which is where I record this show, as you longtime listeners know. His poster's right behind me, next to my bed. You guys know I've been a Yankee fan since the later part of 2007 into 2008, and I remember when he signed here in the 2008 offseason heading into 2009. I remember him winning that year in his first year here, and all of it. I remember it all very well. He made lots of good memories for us, and even in his rough days, whether it was on-the-field struggles, off-the-field struggles, or both, he gave it his all. Acknowledged he had a problem, which is admirable in its own right, as I said, and was able to course-correct his career and his life off the field and finish the way he wanted. Now living out the life he wants after baseball, sober and all. And he looks fantastic too, by the way. He really is in great shape. And of course, as I said after he retired last year, and even more so now, after we've now heard even more details about his story, I wish him nothing but continued peace and happiness, and still hope to this day, as I also said last year, that we also see him involved with the organization at some capacity in the future. Who knows? If or when he'd be ready to do such a thing, whether it be as a coach, advisor, counselor, whatever it may be. But regardless, I really, really enjoyed the documentary, and I definitely recommend it if you haven't already watched it. The respect I already had for CeCe before increased even more after I watched this documentary. CeCe, God bless you, man. You are an inspiration. As for now, though, guys, that is all for episode 78 of Yapping Yankees today. Let's give a last shout-out to Grunt Talks MLB, Reckless Airwaves, and Ball 9. Ball 9 brings you some of the best baseball content out there. Baseball stories, old and new, articles, roundtable discussions, suggested baseball podcasts like Yapping Yankees, and more. Visit Ball 9's website, ball9.com, and follow them on all social medias at Ball 9. And know what you don't know. Next, we have Reckless Airwaves Radio. Get your latest uncensored, unlimited dish on everything sports. Interviews, featured podcasts, including Yapping Yankees, and much more. Anything goes on Reckless Airwaves Radio. Give them a follow across all social medias at Reckless Airwave, and check out their website, RecklessAirwaves.com. And our final shout-out, of course, goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and, of course, where they feature yapping Yankees. Also, follow the mastermind behind the website. His name is Darren, and you can find him on Twitter at YankeeReport28. And follow them on all social medias at GruntTalksMLB. Special thanks to GruntTalksMLB, Reckless Airwaves, and Ball9 for helping to spread the word every week about yapping Yankees. And also don't forget to follow me on all social medias, guys, so you can keep up on the latest having to do with me personally, along with the Yankees and Yapping Yankees announcements, content, and Twitter and Instagram social media segments every Saturday. Follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram at Mike Scuds. 97. And I would also really appreciate it, guys, if you took the time to hit that subscribe button on the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel. That channel keeps on growing. Keep on subscribing on there and listening. But of course, also subscribe and always listen to Yapping Yankees on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And while you're at it, why not listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you've missed, right? Episodes 34 up to episode 78 today are available on YouTube, and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Yapping Yankees is available on all four of those platforms, guys, so do help spread the word and tell everybody you know to listen to Yapping Yankees. 
Once again, thank you 3000 for listening to me yap today. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday on my birthday, January 3rd, when I come at you with episode 79 of Yapping Yankees. Until then, guys, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, have a happy and safe new year once 2021 is rung in at midnight this Friday, January 1st. Do not forget about my announcement about the weeks I'm taking off in January. I'll be sure to remind you about that next week. And, of course... Yankees re-sign DJ. Have a good week, guys, and I'll talk to you in 2021. Good riddance, 2020. Nobody's gonna miss you. Have a good week, guys, and stay safe. Take care. (laughs) 